Welcome to another episode of the Western Standards Alberta Report, where we look at what's going on as Albertans prepare to go to the polls on the 29th of this month. It's May the 8th, 2023. I'm opinion editor Nigel Hannaford, and with me today we have, as usual for these programs, news editor Dave Naylor. Morning, Nigel. And business reporter Sean Pulser, former colleague of mine. And we'll also be hearing from uh, legislative reporter Arthur Green and from our own very own uh, Jonathan Bradley, who's been covering the election beat here in Calgary, even as the fires rage in the north. Obviously, this weekend, it was not the election dominating the news, but the enormous out-of-control fires in northern and western Alberta. As of this moment, the latest information that we have is that the worst of the fires are around Drayton Valley. This information, by the way, comes from the Government of Alberta dashboard on forest fires. And according to the Government of Alberta's dashboard, uh, Drayton Valley and Fox Lake, which is 550 kilometers north of Edmonton, have the worst of the fires. 20, 25,000 people have had to leave their homes. And we, we, we certainly think about those poor folks with, uh, with a lot of concern. And uh, the entire city of Edson, 8,000 people has been ordered to evacuate. There are 103 active fires. Most of them are out of control. And the total land area involved is something in the order of 122,000 hectares. Now, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you that for comparison's purpose, the city of Edmonton is 68,000 hectares. So if you've got 120,000 uh, if you've got 120,000 hectares in flames, that's a lot more than the city of Edmonton. And for those watching in Calgary, you might want to know that Calgary has an area of 82,000 hectares. This is a very, very big fire. In fact, Premier Smith called it unprecedented. Uh, Dave, Premier Smith declared a state of emergency. That seems like the obvious and right thing to do. What powers does it give the provincial government to deal with the situation? Basically, it's a lot, a lot of bureaucratic stuff, Nigel. Uh, uh, channels of help get open quicker. Uh, communication between the, the, uh, the communities affected and the, and the provinces is streamlined. Uh, what's what's going to be happening next is Premier Smith is currently, as we speak, on the phone to provincial premiers asking for help. I'm assuming that's in the uh, in the form of firefighting uh, help and firefighting equipment, bomber planes, that type of thing. And then uh, she's got a lunch hour phone call scheduled with Prime Minister uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I guess more more help uh, and uh, more emergency cash uh, to help uh, help pay for this mess. Do you think everybody, uh, I mean, obviously she's ha had an adversarial relationship with the Prime Minister to this point. Uh, do you think when there's a situation like this, everybody can rise above party politics? Oh, I think so. You know, it'll it'll make Trudeau look good. He can say, hey, you know, Alberta comes running first first, first opportunity. They come running to water for help. So they, they actually need us. But uh, he won't say that out loud, obviously, but he'll smirk and, uh, and uh, give Alberta what they want. Yes. Now, she also had a, had a meeting with uh, opposition leader Rachel Notley. 
She did. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, as you know, uh, during the last major disaster, uh, Premier Notley was was in charge and she shared her tips on, on, on what to do in a, in a sort of a one-on-one -on -one meeting with just, uh, just Premier Smith and their top advisors. And then after that, they went to an uh, evacuation centre in Edmonton together and they met with evacuees and, uh, it, you know, it was just a nice show of, uh, of cooperation normally between, uh, uh, I don't think that it's wrong to say the two people don't like each other very much, uh, but they came together when Albertans are suffering and, uh, you know, that's what we do, we come together. It's the right thing to do. I'd like to go now to Arthur Green. Arthur is our legislative reporter, but Arthur is also our northern reporter in practice. Arthur, you were out where the fires were. Where were you? Uh, on Friday evening, I, uh, I headed to Drayton Valley, and of, uh, of course, all the uh, all the roads were closed. Headed in there, uh, I was able to get through uh, through the roadblocks with my uh, with my press ID, and uh, you know it was a it was a bit airy uh, uh, driving into a town that's completely on fire. Everybody's going uh, going one way, and I'm driving the other. But uh, you know, I was in I was in Drayton Valley. The town was uh, completely completely empty. All was left was uh, RCMP officers, uh, firemen, of course, and, uh, and forestry units. At the time you were there, Arthur, how close to Drayton Valley were the, were the flames? Um, the flames were actually uh, right in Drayton Valley. Uh, I mean, at one point I was about 700 meters from, from one of the fires and, and you can feel the heat on your face and, and, and smell the smoke. I mean, my car permanently smells like a bonfire now. Uh, um, but it was moving pretty qu pretty quickly, and at one point, uh, you know, an officer said to me, "You're crazy to be, be here," and, and uh, I agreed with him. But uh, I was just worried that the uh, that the wind was going to change, and, and then I wouldn't get out. But uh, I did manage to get out. Uh, of course, there was no power in the area, and no gas stations open. Uh, I did have a, a full tank of gas when I left, uh, of course, uh, having to take a uh, off route to get there, uh, didn't plan correctly, but uh, I ended up um, getting a tomahawk, uh, which is just outside of Drayton Valley uh, with eight kilometers left in the tank to spare. So I managed to get gas. Well, you've got more guts than a sausage. Now, um, tell me, uh, tell me, Arthur, uh, you took some footage which i gather has gone around the world what, what was that about uh uh i have uh i mean i was pretty much one of the only journalists crazy enough to go into this zone uh so uh france tv uh, actually is showing the western standard footage uh, in france uh last night i was on uh, abc uh, australia with uh, with ross child so uh, that was pretty neat uh, you know internationally uh, people are coming to the western standard for their for their news about the alberta fires and uh, yesterday uh, nigel i headed to Enwhistle, and i said it right because uh, a towns person taught me how to say it um and I was basically, I wanted to look for one of the most devastated areas in Alberta, and I was told it was this town. And, and of course, luck be have it, uh, Premier Smith was actually out on tour at the time. Uh, she took time yesterday uh, on the ground um, to visit these towns, and I actually uh, attended with the Premier, uh, got, to, got to get in her SUV and, and go along. 
um, during this time, um, you, you may you may have seen the the footage of the uh, of the burnt trees and whatnot. Um, that was taken from the other side of the road. Out of out of respect for Albertans, uh, you know, a lot of these people haven't been able to. And of course, there's 29,000 that have been evacuated now. A lot of these people haven't returned to their homes yet to to assess the damage, Nigel. So, out of respect uh, uh, for homeowners, I uh, I didn't want to actually post any pictures of properties that were, were damaged. But uh, I can just say uh, it's unbelievable to see how fire moves. And Danielle Smith uh, spoke with officials yesterday. I mean, she had an update from, from Parkland County, from the mayor. Uh, one house was lost in Parkland County as of yesterday and some outbuildings. Um, you know, she learned how fire moved. It's amazing, uh, Nigel, to watch how, uh, uh, after the fire is out, of course, uh, how it moved. Um, you know, it would stop in certain places and then go in the other cross roads, cross rivers. But um, officials told Smith yesterday that it's going to take upwards to a year uh, to extinguish some of the hot spots because of the soil that we have uh, here in Alberta. Yes, there's um, biological material in the soil that will smolder underground and just pop up suddenly. Um, Sean, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about forest fires. I mean, we want to get back to politics here pretty quick, but how unusual is it to have a fire like this? Well, they happen just about every year. Um, I can think of probably about a half a dozen different ones. Uh, Fort Mac has had a couple. Of course, there was the really big one in 216, which I covered. Um, White Court, um, Slave Lake burned mm -hmm. down to the ground a couple years back. So uh, these happen fairly regularly. It's a fairly normal part of life in northern Alberta. For sure. Like it's part of the, the, the cycle of nature then? I mean, it's been happening forever? I think so. Um, I didn't know that Alberta didn't have a forest service up until about 1970. And uh, the largest fire in the province's history burned for well over a year. Like, uh, And it was up in the northwest uh, corner, I think even further north than uh, Fort Mac, before they actually got around to coming up with a, a forest service. But the other thing that's happened is that uh, humans have encroached on a lot of this land. Like that, that land used to be pretty much uninhabited. And uh, my understanding is in, I don't know, can't say ancient times, but you know, a few hundred years ago, that uh, it would be quite common for all this uh, forest to basically burn down and then regenerate itself. Yeah, one ugly thing we should mention, uh, Nigel, uh, looting. Uh, four people arrested in uh, Drayton Valley for trying to loot a gas station after the town had been evacuated, uh, arrested by the RCMP, and uh, let's hope they throw away the key on those guys. Yeah, we that's don't need any of that. Pretty despicable, pretty despicable action. Uh, so uh, there have been some other uh, effects too, Sean, like... You were saying wells closed in? Yeah. Um, northeastern Alberta there, Grand Prairie. Uh, it's called the Peace River Block, uh, deep basin down around Drayton Valley. I used to work at the newspaper in Drayton Valley. You know, uh, the Pembinet oil field is one of the largest oil fields in the world. So uh, just doing a, a rough count this morning here, we're up to about 145,000 barrels a day so far, which would be about 4% of Alberta's oil production. But I wouldn't be surprised if that number is quite a bit higher. By contrast, in 216, in the Fort Mac fires, they had to shut in a million barrels a day of oil sands. So it's still, it's significant, but it's not. I think the question that 
springs to everybody's mind is whether we're going to see the effect of that in the pumps. I'm not so sure about the pumps, but definitely in the provincial treasury, depending on how long it, it stays down. Hopefully it's only for a few days, but uh, with the Fort Mac fires, you know, we had a million barrels offline for almost two months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Darn it. Nothing like a, nothing like a big forest fire when you're in the middle of an election to take your mind off the issues. What issues we have, Dave? Issues we do have, and uh, yeah, it, it seems like uh, the election is sort of in, in neutral at the moment. Uh, the NDP and UCP candidates suspending their campaigns in the in the writings that are affected, and certainly you're not seeing any campaign events from the from the leaders, Rachel Notley or 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 Daniel Smith. So I, I think what's probably going to be happening. I, I don't think we would want to see leader events. From, no, oh no, no, uh, they're, they're they're playing it. They're playing it exactly right. Uh, now is not the time for big rallies when, no. when so many people are in peril. So I think probably the, the, the only action you're going to be seeing is door knocking, I would guess. Uh, you know, local candidates out uh, knocking on the doors and trying to trying to curry votes uh, votes that way. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, Notley and Smith seem to be uh, in sync in this one. We'll come back to the door knocking a bit later, but uh, I did want to talk to, we, we need to bring Jonathan in and because there was one announcement on recognition of foreign credentials, which uh, uh, Rachel Notley made, was it on Friday? Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon, just before you know, just before went. everything broke out. Yeah. Hello, Jonathan. So you were there at the at the meeting. How? What exactly is the announcement? So the Rachel Notley held a campaign rally in the northeastern part of Calgary on Friday. She announced that uh, if the Albert NDP win, they would be expanding foreign credential recognition. She spoke about how she would be streamlining uh, credential recognition and anyone who needs assistance to obtain that would receive income support. And one of the stories that she based it off was she spoke with a lady named Harabwa Swami, who had trained as a licensed practical nurse in the uh, medical assistant in the States, which in Canada would be a licensed practical <clears throat> nurse. And she wasn't able to work in that career because of uh, foreign credential problems. So who is it who doesn't recognize the credentials, the provincial government or the professional bodies under which are responsible for these particular uh, skills? The professional bodies. So did uh, Ms. Notley say how she meant to address that with the professional bodies? She didn't say how she would, like formally, like she said, but she'd be streamlining the process but she didn't like elaborate on what that would entail. Um, she, obviously, Northeastern Calgary has a large uh, ethnic and immigrant community. So I assume that was the point that was being made uh, and why they held that rally in that area. Yes, I think you're, I think you're right about that. But she didn't get into, I, I mean, I, I think we've all heard this theme both in provincial politics and in federal politics many, many times. You know, the, it's the, it's the foreign, foreign trained professional who's, driving a cab or doing menial work because their credentials are not recognized. And you feel a certain sympathy for the, the individual, especially when you wonder whether this might be just closed door uh, politics with the professional bodies just, just to keep the rate up. Nevertheless, um, there, there are issues about how people are trained uh, in other countries and whether they are trained to, to the same level as we expect in Canada. Did she touch on any of that at all? Not at all. But one point that she did make was 
she said that if she won, she would not rest until people could work into in the careers that they deserve. Well, uh, this is a frustrating thing because it's uh, Miss Notley comes on stage, makes an announcement, no specifics. And there's young Jonathan who wants to know specifics, wants to ask questions uh, about specifics to get those specifics. And as we all know, the Western standard is not allowed to uh, address Miss Notley. Exactly. So, In fact, they, did you say they had put a tail on you? Well, with uh, me at that event, they had uh, one of their staffers follow me around the entire time. Um, even, at, you know, just like as I was interviewing people, she was like watching over me. And as uh, I was live tweeting the rally, she was like standing next to me the entire time watching me. And I, I found it weird. Like it wasn't like she was like hounding me or anything like that. It was just odd to have like a person like stand beside me as I was like, you know, like doing my job. Jonathan, that is actually beyond weird. Sean, have you ever seen anything like that? Have you ever been tailed by a party official at a at a public meeting? Well, there was at the. I mean, you're a rogue. If anybody would have been, you would have been. So, um, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think I think that makes the point. Jonathan, thank you very much. And Arthur, I don't believe I thanked you for your contribution earlier. I got to salute you, Arthur, for sticking yourself in harm's way and uh, and getting the story out for. Albertans generally, and but first for readers of the Western Standard. Well done, and Jonathan, well done. Thank what you. else have we got for the for the good people uh, this morning? Foreign credentials, and then there was a promise to hire more teachers. How are we going to do that? Again, short on specifics. Uh, Four thousand more teachers. The uh, NDP promised also on uh, on Friday in the in the lunch hour, I believe, and uh, three thousand more teacher aides. Uh, you know, so that's 7,000 jobs there. No specifics how they're going to do it. No specifics how they're going to pay for it. And uh, once again, uh, we tried, but we're not allowed to ask questions to get those specifics. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, none of the... I, did, I don't recall seeing any other reporters asking the same thing. One thing about that meeting that struck me was that she said that her focus was going to be on the public and Catholic schools uh, systems. Uh which, by being so specific, excludes, and I think she, I think she was asked about this, the, the private school sector, which is quite large. Uh, I think it's maybe as many, eight or nine percent of uh, Alberta students are either in private schools or in charter schools, which aren't quite the same thing, or they're homeschooling. And I, I'm trying to decipher what the message might be by that very particular way she worded it. Are they going to try and defund those schools? Are they just going to try and uh, reduce the, the funding so that they become inoperable under normal standards? What do you make of that? You know, again, they're short on specifics, but if I had a child or if I was involved in the pub private school sector, I'd be worried uh, because the sense that you're getting is... Uh, you're going to get your funding slashed and uh, the, all the money is going to be going into the public and the, the Catholic system. So I think the question that if you were in that situation, if I were in that situation, I would be asking, why are they not supportive of private education? It actually saves a lot of money because there's a per capita grant that goes to this. Whatever that per capita grant is that goes to the public school system, it's only about 70% that the private schools get. And of course, the homeschools get virtually nothing at all. 
So that's actually saving money to the education system. So what's the interest here? I, I think they're, you know, they're, they're probably just ide ideologically against them. You know, they're, they're, they're union backers, the ATA, Teachers Association, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the janitors and, and their union. And so I think they're just looking after their, you know, their, their people, their, their, their supporters. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's something that's going to need to be addressed in the, uh, in the coming days. There needs to be specific questions put to uh, put to Miss Notley about uh, what her thought plan is, uh, and I think our education, your education columnist uh, John Hilton O'Brien, uh, discussed this issue uh, last week, if I remember correctly. I think we launched that on, I believe it was Saturday, but anyway, yes, he did. Uh, what did he have to say? Very much what you said, except that he was more explicit. He thinks that the uh, NDP is actively looking to defund. Uh, and perhaps altogether eliminate uh, um, private and homeschooling because they just feel that all the children should go through the same sausage machine, a sausage machine, of course, which the ATA controls, and um, which I suspect is very much in sync with the way that the NDP leadership also thinks. So they want all children to have drag, drag queen story time you know, which they're probably not getting at the private schools. You know, I, I guess they're not. But, you know, Dave, John, when you think about it, what a lot we missed when we were at school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had to concentrate on the three R's. We didn't have any. Yeah. Well, your, your comments reminded me of uh, the Pink Floyd movie where uh, he's going through school. And, and I think it was a sausage machine of kids just going through the whole thing. There's a lot of wisdom in Pink Floyd, isn't there? <laughs> Look, um, there was one other... Um, okay, so foreign credentials, hiring more, more teachers. There was also... Um, uh, I think we, all, we were all a little surprised, but there's a fundraising letter that we need to talk about, Dave, and it's from... Uh, yeah, this, this came out on the weekend from the, uh, from the president of the, uh, the Alberta party. Uh, fundraising letter, uh, you know, please, please send your cash. You know what, Nigel, as you know, happens all the time during campaigns uh, and whatnot, and normally it's not a big deal. Uh, but some people are upset by this because they sent it out during the middle of a state of emergency, and they look at it as, uh, as pretty tacky. Uh, you know, when the, especially when the two party leaders have set everything aside to, to, to push out this partisan uh, plea for cash, uh, certainly has certainly got uh, lips wagging in the, in the UCP uh, area too but uh yeah it's you know okay just just to give them the benefit of the benefit of any doubt there may be is it possible that that is something that was that they hit the green button to start the process a few days ago and you know once it was in motion they really they couldn't pull it back i mean yeah could, uh, absolutely could have been could have been timed out three weeks yeah. ago right uh we just don't know but uh uh, no matter what happened, it came out. You know, they they just look a bit tacky. That's all. Yeah. It's 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 not a scandal to end all scandals by any means, but they just look a bit tacky. Sean, as you drive you drive around town quite a lot. Um, as you see, what do you, what do you get? Is there any sense you get from the lawn signs? Um, Except we come back to this door knocking thing, and I, I certainly was out on Saturday, and I saw teams of people banging on doors. So. Uh, um, I was listening to the radio, and they had interviewed a fellow. I'm not sure what 
political science department he was at Waterloo or something, they did uh, a study on election signs and whether or not there's an actual correlation between the vote and uh, the number of signs that are out there. And they came to the conclusion that, yeah, there is, but it's towards the end of the campaign. Like, um, and, and it only applies to the signs that are on private property. Yeah. yeah. So the, I've noticed with uh, the NDP signs that the kind of the anti-Smith ads are going up on the, you know, on the boulevard and on the median way. Mm -hmm. And that there's actually a smaller number of the actual signs on the, on the yards. But that said, I have seen more NDP signs than I have UCP. Day, sorry, Nigel. No, uh, day, day one of the campaign, the NDP said they had 55,000 signs out and, uh, and ready to be put up. So I think they're certainly winning the battle of the signs at the moment, uh, but uh, it's early. I, well, it is. And I, I wonder if that's actually a battle worth winning this early. And like, is it possible to peak too soon? My, my sense of what the uh, UCP might be up to is that, um, sure, you put your signs out, everybody gets used to them. And then about 10 days before the election, a week before the election, when everybody is finally paying attention to what's going on, suddenly this ocean of blue signs appears all over the, all over the cities and all over the sidewalks and everything else. And the story may, is momentum. They may just be waiting till after uh, May long. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, as you say, uh, Victoria Day. Victoria Day. Day. Victoria Day. Sorry, I should. Yes. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I'm tired after getting up and watching the coronation. So uh, my uh, my apologies, Victoria Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and then just overwhelm them okay. and, uh, and, take, uh, and claim momentum. Your picture of the queen is on its way. Uh, sorry, of the king. Look, uh, I think it's a good note to end on. Uh, look, folks, if you're watching this and you are not subscribers to the Western Standard, why aren't you? Become one. It's $10 a month. We'll give it to you for a year for 100 bucks. Give our circulation department a call, get signed up, and get the news that they see in Australia before they see it in Ottawa, thanks to Arthur Green. I'm Nigel Hannaford, and this is the Western Standard. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley's at 410, feed wheat's at 408, and corn's unchanged at 399 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures gained 5.5 cents at 841, with local hard red spring bids for May movement at 1030 per bushel. In the oil seeds, nearby canola futures are down $2.90 at 732.20 per metric ton, with delivered values for May at 16.38 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentils are trading at 35 cents a pound, and yellow peas are holding at 11.50 per bushel. In the cattle markets, June live cattle increased 17 cents at 162.10 per 100 weight. For more information on grain marketing, call me at 403-394-1711. I'm Sean Smith at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.